0: these NGOs they openly list who they're funded by everyone knows that they're funded by you know the Open Society Foundation and USA aid and Ned it's not a secret
1: you're listening to the Corbett report welcome back friends welcome back to the Corbett report I am James Corbett of Corbettreport.com it is March of 2023. And today we are joined on the line by an old fan favorite of the Corbett Report, Riley Wagaman, a.k.a. Edward Slavsquat, who you will remember from our previous conversations on CorbettReport.com. But more to the point, hopefully you know him from his substack, the Edward Slavsquat substack, which is a tongue twister. I always have a problem saying that. Just don't make me say it five times in a row really quickly. And hopefully you have been keeping uh, up to date with uh, Riley's work there at that substack, uh, including, of course, keeping an eye on the ever-unfolding saga of the Russian biosecurity state, including uh, recent posts that I linked up in a recent subscriber newsletter. Who... Wh- uh, sorry, why do people think Putin dislikes clot shots? Question mark. Good question. And I hope you have been keeping track with uh, those types of articles. I hope you also have noticed a recent article that he has up about Georgian Maidan, fake it till you make it, question mark. Um, a Very interesting post about what is going on in Georgia. And why is Riley writing about what's going on in Georgia? is because he is living in Tbilisi as we speak, at least for the time being. Uh, so Riley, thank you very much for coming on and for updating us as to the latest happenings there in Georgia.
0: Thanks for having me back on, James. It's always a pleasure talking.
1: Yeah. Yes, it is. So let's get into this. Um, I guess, first of all, we should note, yes, last time we were talking to you, you were in Russia. Now you're in Georgia. How long have you been there? How long are you planning to stay there? What's it like in Georgia right
0: now? Uh, Well, actually, I arrived here in June, so I think that the last time we talked, I had already arrived in Georgia. But um, yeah, it's it's a very, um, how to describe it, it's a hilly, mountainy, Land of of doughy foods, but um, you know there has been some interesting drama in the last few weeks. But uh, it's overall, it's it's a pretty calm existence here in Tbilisi, an expensive one. Lots of lots of Russian IT specialists have flooded the city, which has caused rent to balloon exponentially. So.
1: I think all of that is in the uh, in the uh, Georgian National Anthem, isn't it? A hilly, mountainy place of doughy uh, <laughs> treats, something like that.
0: Doughy rent hikes, yeah.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, okay. Yeah, you raise the specter, obviously. Why are we talking about Georgia? And I don't mean the state of Georgia. I mean the nation of Georgia. Why are we talking about Georgia right now? Because it has been in the news recently. People will see in my recent edition of New World Next Week. We talked about it briefly about um, the recent huge uprising, spontaneous uprising of democracy there in Georgia, of people storming the streets, demanding that foreign agents be allowed to operate on Georgian soil or something? What on earth happened there? Just inform people, for those of us who didn't see that story.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, it began with basically the ruling party in Georgia, it's called Georgian Dream, and they submitted this bill to parliament, which... Is very similar to what the, both the United States and Russia have, which is legislation that, in theory, is supposed to regulate, um, you know, it, when a foreign government is bankrolling either an NGO or a media outlet. If they pass a cer- certain threshold of funding, in this case, the legislation was 20%. I believe they have to register as, in uh, you know, an, basically, a uh, organization of foreign influence and uh, in response to this legislation there was this outpouring of you know rage predictably from all of these us backed civil society organizations and ngos and there was um, several days of i would say unusual unusually unusual unrest in tbilisi usually a very relaxed quiet place but you know, basically, what we saw was just an average weekend in Paris. You know, a car was flipped. Some people threw. You know, there was some water. You know, water cannons, and it was over in about two days. In response, though, to this incredible spontaneous, uh, you know, street rage, they did withdraw this bill, and you know, the U.S. embassy issued a stern warning: never do that again. There were these, uh, you know, statements from all of these civil society organizations that are, again, funded by the National Endowment of Democracy and USAID. who said, we're, we're suspending our cooperation on open government initiatives with Georgian Parliament now because you guys don't have the right European values for us. And yada, yada, yada. So it's been, um, but uh, as, you know, I wrote recently, you know, I walked to Parliament, which is not so far from where I am, on a Friday night. When, you know, if this was a real Maidan, there would definitely be tires burning in the streets. There's nothing, you know, there it's been completely quiet since basically, uh, you know, for more than for two weeks, basically. So
1: I think the average weekend in Paris rating of how how insane the uh, the protests are is probably a good one. Yeah, it's an average weekend in Paris. All right. So with that as context, I guess what we need to understand is the sort of the bigger context of what's happening here and why it's important. And for that, I guess it's important to understand that Georgian politics isn't exactly just about Georgia. It's obviously the proxy site of the grander struggle that's happening in many different places between the West and Russia, broadly speaking, something like that. And uh, obviously, we've seen that play out in a number of different ways in recent years. For example, of course, people will know that 2003 marked the one of the early, not the earliest, but one of the early iterations of the color revolution template that we've seen play out in so many different places over the years, the Rose Revolution which was, as a number of outlets will uh, we'll talk about in great detail, for example, I will once again re- refer people to K- Kit Clarenberg's recent Mint Press news article on Dare Call It A Coup, CIA Front Threatens Color Revolution in Georgia, where he has a lot of the specifics about how that 2003 um, revolution happened, how it played out, how even the Toronto Globe and Mail uh, said uh, that uh, in, in February of 2003, George Soros began laying the brickwork for the toppling of Georgia's government, and how they brought in Georgian activist Giga Bokaria, the uh, uh, the founder of the NED and Open Society-backed Liberty Institute, to meet with Otpor, which was the original color revolution, uh, color revolutionaries that were funded by Soros in that crowd. So. There's a big history there that shouldn't be surprising, even if you don't know the specifics of the Rose Revolution. I think this should probably be broadly familiar to people who are at least familiar with my, my own work on the subject of NGOs as Trojan horses. But that Rose Revolution didn't necessarily go exactly according to Washington's uh, most fervent dreams. In fact, it brought into power Saakashvili. Um, who was uh, something of a wet firecracker dud in terms of the, what they were what they were expecting or hoping for, and although he did proceed with uh, some of the uh, the types of liberalization of the economy policies that Washington was evidently hoping to bring in, uh, it didn't last long, um, and Saakashvili eventually started accruing more and more power to himself, attempting to ban political parties, etc., and then got exiled to ukraine and then came back and now he's jailed or what what is going on here tell us about this character i just find it so strange that sakajili really keeps coming back up
0: he really he really is a character I, I still have that image of him eating his tie you know as the tanks are rolling into georgia Ah, uh, it's so good but um, you know, it's talking about what Saakashvili was up to in Ukraine is like a whole other discussion, but basically he was appointed the governor of Odessa region by Poroshenko. And then Poroshenko decided to strip him of his Ukrainian citizenship just spontaneously. I don't think we even know why they did it. It was maybe some political feud, he was maybe felt threatened by Saakashvili. And so at this point, Sakashvili had lost his Georgian citizenship, lost his Ukrainian he didn't have a passport. And he was bouncing. He like went to Poland. Then eventually, I mean, after a lot of drama in Ukraine, where he tried to sneak back in, he he like snuck into Georgia in a in a freight container or something like this. And this was in October 2021, if I remember correctly. And um, and he was arrested because really is wanted in Georgia. really was ordering like thugs to beat up political opponents. He was really. You know, it's so interesting talking to Georgians here because they say, okay, he he did pass some like really necessary reforms. For example, the police were horribly corrupt, Uh, like basically, you know, it was like a cartel. And uh, apparently they many Georgians credit Saka with cleaning up the police force in Georgia. But they're like, this guy is just a maniac. And like you said, he was this power hungry guy. There was all these scandals with torture and, yeah, like targeting political opponents, shutting down political parties. Anyway, so really was wanted in Georgia. He was a wanted fugitive. He was arrested. And now there's this whole saga where he allegedly has these serious health problems. So he's on trial, I think for more than one crime, while he's in this hospital – And there uh, occasionally there are these weird videos that leak out of him allegedly having, you know, some sort of seizure or something. You see him writhing in his bed. And it's so weird. It's so weird. And, you know, I think that there also is this. So Saakashvili's political party, it's the United National Movement. And it is one of the major opposition parties still in Georgia. But I think there is this perception that Saakashvili is still like a, a, a political force to be reckoned with, that he is sort of still viewed as sort of the opposition leader in Georgia. But I don't think that's really true. And I've I've spoken to a lot of people who are better informed than me on this topic. And everyone thinks that this guy is, you know, he's old news and that no one, even if he died in prison tomorrow, that no one would really care. You know, like he he was that controversial. And I think a lot of Georgians, even on the liberal side or the, you know, the anti-Russian Georgians are almost embarrassed by this guy. So it creates this really strange vacuum where it's like, who is actually in charge of the opposition anymore in Georgia, and like, how does Sockers really actually play into all this? Like, is he actually even working with Washington anymore? I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's just, it's a very, very weird political situation here. And you know, Georgian Dream, it's, it was, it's bankrolled by basically the political kingmaker in Georgia. He's a, he's an oligarch. This guy. Um, Vidzina Ivanishvili. And he made his money in Russia in the 90s. And uh, he's a very interesting guy. He's sort of this considered this shadowy oligarch who backs Georgian Dream, but he also has like money everywhere. He's like backing everyone, you know? And so it, this sort of ties into your initial question about why, why was this foreign influence law even introduced in the first place? And You know, I'm also I also don't really understand why they did it, because these NGOs, they openly list who they're funded by. Everyone knows that they're funded by, you know, the Open Society Foundation and USAID and NED. It's not a secret. You know, it, it could be that some members of the ruling party just got a little bit nervous because these NGOs control have incredible influence within Tbilisi. I mean, first of all, they're very well funded and they're very radical when you compare to the rest of Georgia, which is quite socially conservative. And um, so that that could be, it might have just been, they got a little bit freaked out and decided, all right, we need to clamp down on these NGOs. And, you know, it's this sort of, uh, it's this, there's this back and forth, I guess, going on. But how, how does Sa- Saakashvili play in, on, into all this? It's, I don't know. I don't know, James, but he's such a he's such a weird guy. And what's going to happen to him is anyone's guess at this point. He he might end up, you know, governor of Estonia.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The world's so bright for him, he's got to wear shades, I guess. Uh, Yeah, it is just a strange cartoon like character that I never expected would keep popping up like this. But actually, one of the more interesting takes uh, I've seen on that is uh, from Bernie Holland at Covert Action Magazine. Uh, who wrote a recent article, British lords shed crocodile crocodile tears about imprisonment of corrupt former Georgian president and Ukraine war booster, Mikhail Saakashvili. as another color revolution looks to be afoot, in which they basically point out that the uh, the British House of Lords is having these teary uh, debates. Oh, this political prisoner, Saakashvili, oh. E- essentially, e- he's just a convenient um, a symbol of, oh, oh, political repression in Georgia that they can trot out at any point that they want to in order to affect some sort of new regime change if they want to do that. And my sense from what I've done, and obviously I'm not following Georgian politics very closely, I'm no expert on this, but my sense is that Georgia is has been attempting to straddle that line for a couple of decades now of not wanting to piss off the US and the West, but not wanting to completely sever ties with Russia, and, you know, where do we go from here? And I, have under, I understand that the uh, Georgian Prime Minister has re- uh, claimed that he has been repeatedly asked to start to open a second front in the Ukraine-Russian war by Kiev and has turned that down. Um, So that has uh, basically ramped up pressure from the West against Georgia. Hey, guys, you got to get more on board with our team. At least that seems to be the, the sort of the nature of the proxy war that's going on here. But I'm interested from your perspective there in Georgia, what is the average Georgian thinking about this? what is What kind of reaction do you think people are having to the situation of this greater power war that's going on around them?
0: Yeah, well, it's also it's important to remember that in the background of all of this, Georgia is applying for EU candidacy status. And what's ironic about the situation is that the ruling party, Georgian Dream, wants EU status, at least officially. It, it's, it, it's applying for it. And the opposition also wants it. I guess an argument can be made, of course, that the uh, Georgian Dream wants EU status for Georgia, but sort of on on Georgia's terms. And the opposition is more, do whatever you want to us, you know, like take take anything you want, we'll do anything. Just give us, uh, you know, give us a chance. So it's you know it's the situation now where um, in Tbilisi, Tbilisi is so different from the rest of Georgia, like. First, first, of all, the whole city is covered in Ukrainian flags, like everywhere. And you you drive like I was, for example, I was in the mountains of Georgia, uh, like a three three hours outside of Tbilisi, and you leave the city, and all the flags go away, all the anti-Russia graffiti. It's just it's a totally different country, you know. So it's I think it's obvious that the from speaking with Georgians and also people um you know friends and acquaintances here you know i think what's happening is you have this moneyed influential you know urban elite in tbilisi who are all very well you know their pockets are being lined basically by washington and they are basically accusing georgian dream of being this you know russian stooges and i I just don't think that's a I mean, it's sort of a ridiculous accusation because in many ways, I mean, it's just because they don't want to fight a war with Russia that they're, that, they're, that they're Kremlin bootlickers. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It would be a suicidal thing for Georgia to do. And I would say, I don't know any Georgians. It's not a, it's not a mainstream idea to open up a second front against Russia. It's, it's Georgia. It's a country of 3 million people, you know? And uh, so how realistic? You know, the way that I view it is pro- probably Washington would be happy with this causing any kind of trouble. And whether the second front is a military adventure or some sort of political trouble that would negatively affect relations with Russia, maybe that's good enough for them. But the average Georgian, even if they are very pro-Ukraine or anti-Russia or whatever, this idea of, of Georgia entering into any kind of military conflict with Russia is just bizarre. Now it is 2023, and anything can happen. And I'm sure, James, you remember a year ago, it was considered impossible for Russia to go into Ukraine. And now it's not even the new normal. But people are arguing that, oh, it was, it had to be this way. It was the only choice. So who knows? Who kn- I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it's impossible. But well, I
1: guess the other um, factor in this is the the fact that, of course, there was the 2008. Russo-Georgian war over Abkhazia and South Ossetia. And that seems to have been prompted by Saakashvili apparently getting whispers that, don't worry, we got your back from Washington. (laughs) And they didn't have his back, and that didn't go very well. So I would assume that memory is still pretty fresh in Georgians' minds, that (laughs) maybe they don't want to fight another war with Russia.
0: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the people who are most violently anti-Russia in Tbilisi would would never pick up a gun, you know? These are very sort of coddled, you know, comfortable people who just like posting memes on Facebook. These are not people who are going to actually go to war with Georgia or with Russia. So, you know, it's, it's so hard to say in these situations and things can become, you know, it's, a, it's an unpredictable world now that we live in. But my assessment just from being here, talking with people and also just seeing the rest of the country, that there's really no excitement for and and you know, for a conflict and also just because georgia has profited tremendously from from just trying to stay somewhat neutral i mean the, probably this is the only country in the world where the economy like is actually growing you know they had huge like huge amounts of uh, very skilled it specialists from moscow pouring in to to tbilisi um, people like funneling money here from georgia to, you know to escape mobilization or you know swift cutoffs so why would, why would the Georgian elite want to change this? It's a, very, it's a very comfy situation for them.
1: Yeah. So I can see, yeah, again, it raises the question, why rock the boat with that law in the first place? And who was testing what waters? And why did they yeah. withdraw it so quickly? And There's a lot of interesting parts to this story, isn't there?
0: Absolutely. And it's still an open question for me. I, I, I'm still puzzled by it. But, yeah, well, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see how things develop.
1: Well, I am looking forward to seeing any further uh, reporting from your side, if there is any developments on this front. What else are you working on right now?
0: Um, I'm really interested. I've been been working on a series of articles uh, looking into, you know, Putin uh, recently talked about he met with a group of uh, prominent Russian businessmen, a.k.a. oligarchs, and made a, a number of statements, including that Russia's economic sovereignty has expanded exponentially or something like this and so i'm uh been researching what has happened over the last year has russia seen you know is there import substitution as this policy worked and what's actually going on economically in russia i think there's a lot of uh, sound bites and talking points from both sides that don't really get at the uh the heart of the matter so
1: excellent well i'm looking forward to that remind people how they can find your work
0: yeah, I'm on I'm on Substack, edwardslavsquat.substack.com on Telegram and Twitter too. You can find me there. But yeah.
1: Excellent. And I will note that I did previously encourage you to get get podcasting and get going with that and you've had a couple.
0: <laughs> I We uh, you know, my my podcast partners, we had to take a little hiatus, but I'm going to hopefully we're going to reboot soon. So looking
1: forward to it. I really do enjoy your chats. So anyway, um, we'll keep your uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, Thank you for doing what you do. And uh, hopefully we can be back in touch in the future. Thanks, James.